welcome to the Dear Katie podcast. This is Katie Castro. And this is Claire Kaplan. I wanted to remind our listeners that sometimes the discussions in our podcast can be difficult to hear, especially for survivors of trauma. So we encourage all of you to care for your safety and well-being. You can do that by reaching out for emotional support from family or friends, a counselor if you have one, or a hotline. And just so you know, additional resources may be found on the Take Back the Night Foundation website, and we'll give you that address at the end of the podcast. Thank you so very kindly, Claire. And I am, and Claire and I are so pleased to be joined for our podcast episode with Shannon um, joining us. Um, I think really importantly, and thank you for using a name that you feel comfort in. Um, what um, identity, you know, where are you, life life paths, um, living now, what did you go to school, where um, are you in life? What's your bio sketch? <laughs> that you're comfortable, comfortable in sharing. Absolutely. I, I currently live um, outside of Minneapolis in a suburb. Um, I have uh, two kids. My last one is now getting ready to graduate from high school and then start college in the fall where he'll be he'll be running, which is super exciting. Um, my oldest son, they're both boys, are, uh, my oldest son is uh, studying engineering and has just started his engineering internship, which is wonderful. Um, I've been married to my husband for, wow, over 20 years now. I think we're coming up on 24. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and I'm 50 years old, so I'm kind of at many kind of crossroads in my life at this point. And, um, you know, I think part of it just, you know, gets me thinking about things that um, happen that I have lived through, you know, where do I want to go next? Um, I have a bachelor's in religion uh, from an East Coast school, and I also have a master's in theology from a local seminary, although I'm not working in ministry. Um, I think it was more for, you know, self-understanding, and I continue to explore um, spirituality, religion, myself. Yeah. I love it. So we always ask to start with um, Shannon. You know, where were you when your thought process began that I should come to this mic for sharing my story and my experience? What happened to you? You know, for some reason, I we like to watch SVU. Sometimes it gets to be a little much with the stories. But, you know, certainly one of the, the recent college ones um, made me think of my time in college and things that... Um, were happening then people like you, Katie, who were really brave and and spoke out at the time. And it kind of made me kind of connect with that and not being able to speak out and not being able to support people maybe as much as I would have liked who were speaking out, you know, just given the timing, uh, given that it was early 90s. Um, and it just made me reach out to you because of that, because I do you know, I think you were very brave and you asked me if I would consider telling my story and I really hadn't, that wasn't my goal in reaching out. And as I thought about it, I thought it could be really part of my continued healing journey to do so. And I love that 
I think for our listeners, you know, we join this conversation every time for every episode in different ages and stages. And I think, you know, what I've learned to um, Shannon is you and I are exact contemporaries. Like we're almost about to be 50. I think you said you turned 50. I'm almost 50, right? So we're contemporaries. But I love the idea that our podcast reaches those who are in their 20s, 30s, teens, 40s, and 80s. And I think the narrative speaks to itself. You know, all of us come to this place and space at different ages and places when we're ready to hear and delve deeper into our pain. And I'm so grateful, Shannon, for your, you know, time tonight, you know, I, and I especially, I'm sorry, it's especially obviously important to me because we live the same decades together and grew up in different places in, in the country, but we, we really have the same story probably. So Go ahead, Shannon. So, you know, thank you for all of that. But what brings you, what story brings you to your mic now? Well, I think for me, my story again is of a a 50-year-old woman and, you know, a Gen X person. And, um, you know, we, we were kind of that generation that didn't have the dramatic support and tended to have more criticism, I think, at the time. And so I think we just kind of learned to do things on our own, right? Um, and and so I think it was... And they just asked, that was a brilliant statement. And when, I, when you say that, that resonates with me deeply and dearly. We were expected to do stuff on our own. And I would only add to that, my parents not only expected me to do it on my own, but they expected me to do it perfectly as a female, you know, under their vision of what it meant to be a woman at in the 70s, right? So I, I just want to amend and append just because on our own is kind of, one statement, but deeper is, and then I would expand that to say the newer generations of women, we just interviewed tonight, Claire, <laughs> like how, how cool was our Toronto young lady who also still in her thirties had a vision of what she had to do to be excellent at being a human. And so I, I love that 20 years later, Shannon and I are sitting with the podcast and thinking about what we were expected to do to be a great female. So go ahead. Go ahead, Shannon. You know, and I, I told you that I, you know, I studied religion, I studied theology. So for me, a lot of what I grew up in was very um, conservative and evangelical. And it wasn't, I mean, I didn't know at the time always, but it, it never felt like the right fit for me. And I was afraid of a lot of things and I was expected, my dad was pretty explicit that I was expected to, you know, be pure until I was married. And so I got to a point 
in high school in which I felt like just things didn't add up for me. And it, I was tired of being afraid, but I, I also didn't quite know how to be comfortable with sex either. So it was kind of like trial and error. And it wasn't, I'm not meaning that I, I, I had a lot of sex. Um, I decided, you know, that I had a boyfriend and that we would, you know, we would have sex. We would share that together. And I think in my mind, I always thought we'd get married, you know, and so it kind of rationalized it. And, you know, he wasn't the right person for me. And I found out, you know, even later that he was pretty, it wasn't that he was extremely violent, but he was manipulative. And that's where my sexual assault came into play. Um, is once we got to college, I went to a different college and it was probably about an hour away. So it meant we didn't see each other during the weeks, but we'd see each other often on the weekends. And we had had such a fun relationship in high school. But once we got to college, I think there was a lot of insecurity on his part, a lot of changes I was going through, a lot of things I was dealing with. Um, and it just, um, it, it didn't work as well as I thought it would. I do have a question, backtracking just a little bit. So in your, in your family and what they valued was that girls remained pure until marriage, I assume. And, but what did you learn about sex? Probably again, you know, mechanics I sure learned in, in school. Um, my mother once talked to me about, you know, where the pleasure comes from. Um, I remember finding out from, um, from her and she, it was something that I kind of guessed when we were talking that she and my dad got together before marriage. And that was so weird to me. It just was like, well, why are you trying to teach me something else? Um, I have an older sister. She was much more comfortable with experimentation and flirtation and that kind of stuff. I never was all that comfortable with it. And she would experiment a lot up to a point. And so it seemed always kind of strange to me that I kind of found myself probably oh, somewhat as a result of my own actions and my own decisions on the outside of things, because I couldn't say I was part of this big V club that was supposed to be what we were when we got married. But yet I had a sister who did a lot of experimentation without going all the way and there was something different about that. I mean, even even to to recently, it, it it feels as though, gosh, we were having a discussion probably around the the Kavanaugh hearings of, you know, can you or can you not, you know, remember and and talk about sexual assault, you know, 20, 30 years later. And she was very forthcoming about, you know, having been, you know, sexually assaulted. Um at some point, um, not raped, but, you know, sexually assaulted at some point. And for some reason, it felt like that was, you know, more valid than what happened to me because I had to keep that secret. Do you know what I mean? I, I And she was older, Shannon? Your sister was? She is older. Yeah. And I think for me, I don't know that it felt more valid, but it felt like, maybe that's the wrong way to say it, but it felt like she was able to say it out loud. And if I were to say it out loud, particularly 
in that context when where we were having the discussion, then all of a sudden my secret would be out. And it's not that I'm ashamed of, you know, being sexually active at that age. It's not that I'm ashamed. It's just, I think I felt for so long because even once I was 18, my father was talking about how his girls are so wonderful because of this, like to church people and things like that. And it was like, I knew that wasn't true anymore. And it wasn't like I felt like less a person, but I couldn't get support, especially after sexual assault happened. I couldn't you know, I couldn't go to my parents and say something. And I, and I think for me, that kind of added to my own, my own guilt, my own confusion, my own anger when it happened. Because for me, it, you know, if I want to continue on that story, we were at our separate colleges and would see each other on weekends. And I began to think I needed to establish myself at the college where I was, that I just wasn't you know, feeling like I fit in, like I enjoyed it. And I just, I needed some time to settle in. And so I talked to him about it and asked if, you know, we could see a little bit less of each other because I need to be here on weekends and get to know people and get to know the campus. Um, that was hard for him. And I don't remember exactly when he started kind of playing some more games, but he definitely started, um, talking about people that we both knew and um, a, a, another woman who was very pretty, very nice, nice woman. Um, and he'd tell me, oh yeah, so-and-so gave me a back rub, those kinds of things. And I was getting triggered by that. And then I thought about it and I was like, well, that's not necessarily wrong, but what makes me mad is that he's telling me about it. And so you know, it was kind of this push and pull of trying to kind of get away. I, I just felt like, you know, that whole hold on loosely song, if he would have just given me space, I think we could have potentially at least stayed together a little longer. I don't know. Um, but he didn't want to give me that space. He wanted to hold on tightly. Um, and I remember one weekend and I, you know, it's so long ago, I don't remember all the specifics, but he came to get me. And I didn't want to go. And he was yelling at me in the hall of my dormitory um, and then yelling at me in the car. And that's when, you know, he probably got somewhat physical in the sense that I think he like grabbed my arm. It wasn't like a huge, like he didn't hit me, but it was scary. And it was probably not super long after that with a little bit of support from somebody in the dorm. But I don't know that many people knew all this was going on um, to just, you know, cut it off. Um, but at that point I wanted to still do my best to try and stay friends. Cause that was, I don't know why. I think that was just something that made me feel better about myself at the time. If I could stay friends. And so we would see each other from time to time. And one of those times it must've been near the end of the year, but, um, he was still in the dorm. Uh, I did go to see him and, that's where the assault happened. And it was a situation that, you know, didn't involve heavy, you know, physical intimidation or anything, but it was just him asking. And I was like, no. And he kept asking and asking and asking and asking. And I finally was like, I just want this to stop. And so I let him. And I remember just feeling 
like, I mean, a piece of meat, like, you know, how can he not feel that I'm just not at all into this? And I feel like this is just get it over with and make it go away so I can leave or so I can just be done. I don't remember what it was, the feeling exactly. Um, but I know in deep in my heart, it didn't feel right. I think after that, I probably closed off as much as I could. We did have friends in common and he would say snide things, ask me if I slept with another one of our friends, which I hadn't, but I mean, just things to just dig at me and to make me feel horrible. Um, um, this, what you were describing there about this sort of persistent haranguing, you know, not listening when you'd say no, and finally just saying, just sort of get it over with so you can get out of there. That scenario happens every day, hundreds of times. I mean, so many times at my work with survivors have I heard, I just just want, you know, after a while, I just couldn't deal with it anymore. I couldn't leave and he wasn't giving up and just like, get it over with, you know? And it was, it's so interesting because uh, someone I know used to treat adolescent perpetrators. And one guy said, he was asking, how do you know a woman means no? And one guy said, if she says no nine times, I'll never forget this. And he said, nine, where did you come up with that number? And it was like, they had this conversation. Why nine? Of course, he just made it up, right? So, and he said, do you tell the women you're with that this is what they need to do? You know, he's no, you know, and it's like, what is it? You know, it's so interesting that. And I only add to, um, and to add to Claire, um, Shannon, Claire, that was so beautifully and well said. And I only wanted share with you, Shannon, under my first, maybe one of the first in all of trial history, my inquisition was, I said no 12 times. That was what I had to say, Shannon. I said no 12 times. And so, you know, please rest yourself in being, you know, victorious and in, in yours, you know, where you sit. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. And I thank you. And again, this is why I feel like looking up and rereading your story just was so helpful, but it, it makes it confusing because afterwards you're like, I could have said no. Why, why didn't I say no? And, and then it becomes, I think a situation where like, at least for me, I was mad at myself um, I, I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't tell anybody, anybody. Because Shannon, the same thing you sit with, you are a brilliant, smart woman. And everyone says like, hello, do you not speak English? Do you not understand? No. Do you, do you not have to make word choices? Like it's so, uh, it's so horrible. But maybe you could explain that. I've tried my life. I would never have, I mean, I, I just, I, I would never have probably even considered that it was, it was rape. I knew it, 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 it hurt me. I knew it made me doubt myself. I knew it made me angry. Um, I knew it was something that I, you know, I ended up, 
I, I dealt with by myself for many, many years. I, um, you know, I, I did finally say I transferred colleges and uh, was in a women's studies class. And, you know, we were talking, I think, about rape. And this was, you know, within a couple of years of it happening. And I did explain it to to somebody there. And she was like, you were raped. If you said no, and he didn't stop and didn't listen to you, that was what it was. And I think it, I still was like, really? I, I couldn't even, like, I couldn't even own that um, at all. Um, and it was, it was very, it was like on the one hand, it was sort of interesting and possibly liberating. But on the other hand, it was like, but I could have said, no, I mean, I, I'm a strong woman, you know, so somehow I'm at fault. So I think I internalized it as my fault, even though I, I know it was his fault, his fault. It was more my fault than his fault, even though it was his fault, if that makes sense. That's the insidious nature of rape culture and victim blaming in our culture and that the victims themselves are far more critical of themselves than any other person could be. You know, it's like we silence ourselves. You know, it's, it's, and, but that's the culture we, we live in still. Yeah. Well, and I even later, much later after I'd had children got in touch with the person that did this on Facebook, I ended up eventually blocking that person because you know, I was like, okay, let's try and be friends. Cause it's the whole thing. You know, if you, if you can just be friends, maybe you're over it. I don't know. It was just, I think part of my thought process. And I shared that I had at that time, did I have two? I had at least one young, I mean, toddler son and he had daughters, two of them. And he made some sort of crack that he thought was hilarious. That was like, well, you'll have to keep your sons away from my daughters. We don't live in the same state anymore. And I just remember reading that. And I just, I, it just, I, I was so angry. I, I was so angry. I don't even remember what I said at that point. And, and actually prior to that, you know, I would say before I had children, I I'd somehow talked to him about it too, about being abusive and how, you know, he was abusive and I did not say rape, but I said he was abusive. And I remember him saying, well, we both abused each other. Ah. Oh, oh my God. Right. I was shocked because I mean, that was obviously the conversation ender at that point because. Yeah. What did he say you did? You know, I, I, he didn't say I did anything except that we were both abusive. Uh huh. And I probably didn't wasn't specific on the abuse either, you know, cause he wasn't going to listen. So that was prior to the conversation where he wanted my sons to stay away from his daughters. And, you know, I grew up also with kind of this notion that women are supposed to be in control of men, you know, because men can't control their urges. So we have to, you know, be the one in control. So it adds kind of layer on layer. And I just couldn't believe that somebody would even joke about my toddler being dangerous to their toddler. I mean, I couldn't even believe that. I just, it just hurts my heart because this is my, my son. <laughs> and, and 
And he's a good guy. He's not going to be a guy like that guy. <laughs> so you went through this experience and you went to a different, you transferred to another college. Um, you were exposed to women's studies. Um, so you, but you were still silent more or less. Right. So what, how did that, how did you evolve in your understanding of what happened and when did you start speaking about it or have you is a good question because we have people on here who never have. And to amend and add to Claire, brilliant question, Claire. I also think um, I've spoken at some of the really Christian centered churches and schools in MSP. (laughs) I, I don't know which you went to, but I was thinking your religious faith really is important to our listeners. And how have you wrestled with that as well? Yeah, (laughs) I, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with it now. And, and I have for for a little while, I did find, um, I grew up evangelical. I did end up um, raising our kids in a, a evangelical Lutheran church, so ELCA, um, and found more privacy there. I, I, I felt like growing up, there were so many people, you know, wanting to know everything that you were doing, you know, and, and um, I also found there was a tendency, at least in my circles, to say you were condemn something and then do it, but not say it. And that's not something that I could do. Um, Shannon, Shannon, most people don't understand what you just said. Condemn something, quote, quote, what does something mean? So, for example, you know, growing up, there was a lot of condemnation of drinking alcohol, let's say, right, in church, you know, and um, kids would do it. They'd go to church, say they didn't do it, and, you know, go on with the condemning that they, you know, that people shouldn't do it. And I don't know what it did to them, but for me, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I, I, if I was going to do something, I would, I would say it. Um, and I think I felt like I grew up in kind of a lot of, I don't want to sound like I had a horrible, horrible upbringing, but I had, I had a very kind parents, but my dad was narcissistic. We're in this very conservative setting um, you know, in a setting where there's a lot of, at least in our church, examination and I, I of yourself, but not really. And I tend to be one that takes very seriously self-examination. And I w- want to talk about things and I, I w- want to bring up those dicey subjects like, why do we say don't drink ever, <laughs> you know? Um, and those kinds of things were not accepted. It was more you know, tow the party line and, and pretend. And so, you know, by 18, I stopped going to church because I just couldn't, I didn't feel like I fit in. I I felt like when I asked questions, I was told I was doubting. Um, But it was still very important to me, the religion was. So I, I was at a, this is where I transferred to and um, a public university. So it wasn't um, 
you know, a church university, but I, I, I learned about religion and at that point really enjoyed learning about Judaism. Wow. Shannon, you just like said, I went from conservative Christian to like Judaism. That's like rock star of like way, way. How did, how did you get there? I'm sorry, Claire. What do you think? That you're right now, Shannon, you're monumental in our world. But <laughs> I wanted like, I would bow down to you. Oh my goodness. No, I, I think I got there because I felt like, the, well, I, I had great professors, but I also felt like there was a lot more creativity and openness to thinking and, and wrestling with things. Um, and it was just, I, I, I loved, I loved that. Um, I, I ended up marrying a pastor's son, a Lutheran pastor's son, which was interesting because I would have not expected that. Um, but his family was just really open and there was some sort of privacy and there was some sort of just loving you for who you are and not trying to get in your business. <laughs> um, and then we raised our kids in the ELCA and I think at a little bit more agnostic, but still searching. I feel like um, in our current world, unfortunately, Religion is trying to do too many things that Christianity, some, <laughs> that are about power. And um, so I, I continue to search. I miss that part of me. I think that's part of my growth now, too. There is a connection between what you experienced when you were younger and the uh in this abusive relationship and because there's a connection between that and questioning things, right? And when we're, we're taught one thing, like sort of the just world theory, right? Or, or um, that the world is a good place. And then all of a sudden the world isn't a good place. So what does that mean? How, how does that connect to what our, my parents have told me or what does that connect to what I understand God to be or whatever it is. But so many, I, I, have, I have, from my experience and other people I've spoken to, when you have, when someone comes the day they arrive at a day where they've experienced some kind of trauma and their experience up to that point has not been that. And this experience is like, wait, nothing I understand to be makes sense anymore. Did that kind of happen for you? I think it had started to happen prior to that because, you know, for one thing, I, I, I was, I knew I was scared of my own sexuality. So, you know, I had already kind of stepped over that threshold. Um, I think, yeah, I think that had already happened. I think the hardest part for me may have been just not being able to have any support for what I was going through because it was my fault, because I chose to do something different than what I was raised with, because I wasn't that person my dad bragged about. And I don't know that I ever felt bad necessarily about myself because of it, except that I put myself in that position. So it wasn't as though I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm super bad and I did something bad. 
you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't thankfully do that, but I think I more did that. I should be in more control. I should have done something different. Um, I will say I really haven't talked much about it. I mean, me too. I started to, you know, kind of say a little bit here and there, but nothing really specific. Um, and then prior to that, I had definitely talked to my husband about it, which was, which was very helpful. I mean, and he, what was his response? Yeah. Um, you know, he, I feel like he's the kind of first person in my life that just accepted me for who I am. And I could tell him these things and he just listened. Um, you know, he's, he's interesting. He's not a real touchy feely guy. And sometimes I want that, but he is really solid and I needed somebody solid in my life, you know, that I could just feel like I'm grounded. Cause I think prior to that, I tend to have experiences of not feeling as grounded as I'd like to be. And I feel like that kind of comes from just the way I was raised and how I felt like I didn't fit in. Um, and so that was a, a very empowering thing for me was to know that, that he's heard and he knows and it's okay. And at that point, I think I could embrace the privacy of it too, because I didn't, I needed almost that privacy. I needed almost that. I don't have to tell everybody everything I've done or anything that's happened to me. And so I think at 50, I'm feeling like it's, it's time and the healing to start talking about it. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do so. And, and I hope it connects particularly, I mean, with anybody, but, you know, particularly maybe women close to my age that have some similar experiences and maybe similar experiences of holding on to things and not knowing how to say it because why would you want to draw attention to yourself? And, you know, I guess I would ask if there's anything else you would like to share with listeners, with people who, not only women who've had, who sort of share similar circumstances as you, but what is it that you would like them to know? Wow. That you, you are strong, that you are worth being treated well, um, that you are intelligent, that you can figure out what you need and um, to ask for it and to get it, right? Um, that's what you deserve, your whole person. And don't let anybody make you feel any different. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm -hmm. I, I love it. Claire, do you agree? Yes. And the only other ask I have for you for tonight, Shannon, your darkest, deepest, moment when you were like, how do I keep going? What did you tell yourself in that moment? I'm not sure what I could say is a, a particular moment. I think as I, one of the things I'm learning about myself too, is that I've probably dealt with anxiety for much of my life, but not really known it. 
And so probably what I often tell myself is you are strong. And I've been proud of that. And I think that's good. I think now I need to let myself feel those things that I had to be strong about and let myself not be strong. You know what I mean? That So beautiful. Perfect. Perfect, Shannon. So um, we will close it out. Oh, my gosh. Tonight was amazing. Shannon, Shannon, Shannon. You captivate us from beginning to end your whole life journey. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for being accessible. And thank you for all of your thoughts. Claire, can you give um, a closing comment on self-help? Sure. Thank you also for me, Shannon, um, for um, being so open and for sharing your experience with us and with our listeners. Um, We are grateful also to the listeners uh, who joined us uh, to hear the story on Dear Katie Survivor Stories. If you um, are in the audience and you need support but don't know where to find it, please visit takebackthenight.org for a list of resources and also how to find and reach our legal support hotline. You can also help other survivors by subscribing to the podcast and sharing it far and wide. Please consider posting it on your social media and make sure to follow us on ours. Dear Katie is completely produced by an amazing group of volunteers. So thank you to all of them. And thank you listeners for being present today. And remember always, self-care is essential to healing and to thriving. Thank you and good night to all of our listeners. And thank you to our guests tonight, Shannon. And good night all. Thank you. Thank you.